On February 2nd, 2011, 18-year-old Moises Mraz Espinosa got into a fight with his mother. He put on music by the band King Diamond, grabbed a cord, and strangled her. He then dismembered her body in the shower, cutting her into hundreds of pieces, removing her fingers and toes, putting the pieces into a freezer in the living room, and peeled the skin off of her skull, into which he carved upside-down crosses and carried around in a backpack for the next two days. He then confessed to his cousin what he had done and turned himself into the authorities. Two years later, he was put on trial for murder, and that's where I come in. I'm stand-up comedian Matt Walker, and I was on the jury for the trial. This is the story of the murder of Amelia Espinoza as told by me, juror number eight. Hello, and welcome back to the Juror Number 8 podcast. I am Matt Walker, and with me is my good friend Stephen Glickman. I can't believe I'm on this show. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking about the murder of Amelia Espinoza and my experiences on the jury for the trial. And we've just concluded, if you listen to the four previous episodes, concluded the bulk of the trial, and we'd heard the closing arguments, and now we got into deliberations. Yeah, if you're you're listening to this show, you, you you may have mental problems because this show is this is rough dude this is rough man this is a rough story i i don't think i ever uh, i've never heard anything like this before in my whole life i've i've watched a lot of movies and mm-hmm. uh i've never heard of anything this not horrible like this. not like not this. from anybody you know yeah yeah and the fact that you and i have known each other for like what 15 years yeah. something like this and You've never told me the full story, and now you're telling it to me I kept like it from this? You. you did keep it from me. So. And now, too bad. I'm telling you all too about bad. it. Too bad. I'm learning yeah. the whole thing. Okay, so after the closing arguments, then what happens is the judge sort of makes some announcements to you, and he says, okay, here are the instructions that I have for you as a jury from this point. Got it. Um, and at this point, the two alternates are sort of sent away to go into holding, where they could be called upon if somebody in the jury still has to be replaced for some reason but they're sort of done with the process almost at that point so they sat there and listened to the whole thing and they don't even get to participate in the decision making um, the two alternates yeah so the judge gives us instructions at this point and something that i had thought was the case is not the way that it works at all i thought okay like let's say there was a case for a burglary that there's a set of instructions for burglary that define what burglary is and you and the jury get this standard set of burglary instructions and you look at it and say, okay, well, yes, it meets these requirements, then he's guilty of burglary. Mm. That's not what happens at all. They argue and debate every single trial about what the instructions the jury is going to be given. Now, they obviously have some guidelines for how that's going to play out because they had this sheet of paper that we were given where some stuff was like scratched out and blacked out on it and other stuff was like written in to, to like give like additional instructions. So like they had a debate between the defense and prosecution about what the instructions we were to be given was. And then we were told that we had three possible options that we could come back with and we had to have a unanimous decision. We could either decide that he was guilty of murder in the second degree, murder in the first degree, or not guilty. Those were our only options. They went through and they explained the difference between murder two and murder one, murder in the second degree and murder in the first degree. What's the difference? And the big difference is premeditation. Right. And a thing that I had thought would mean premeditation to me right, going yeah. into this process 
thought that the definition of that would have been something like, hey, I planned this out over a couple days and I killed someone. Like I thought about it ahead of time and then I did it. But what they informed us of during the jury instructions was that premeditation can be as little as a fraction of a second before you commit the act. Oh, shit. So if you think about doing it and then you do it, that's premeditated murder as opposed to if you just do it without ever thinking about it. Okay, so what what would murder be like if you didn't think about doing it? Let's say you're driving in your car and you see somebody, they're crossing through a crosswalk and you see them, you notice that they're there and you just keep going, but you don't have any intention of doing it, you just kept going, right? While murder in the first degree would be you see them out of the crosswalk, like circumstances are basically the same, but you saw them, you recognize that you could stop and you chose to do it anyways. That would sort of be the difference there. So it's a me- it's definitely a mental thing. It's it's almost explicit. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly a mental issue that you have to make a judgment about whether or not this person was in that mental state. And I suspect that the defense attorney was hoping that the arguments that he made would have been enough to cause murder to be the verdict. Okay, so like let's say like you walk in on your wife and she's screwing another guy mm-hmm. and then you murder the other guy. Mhm. Um, that could be murder too, because it just happens. It right. It in, in could a be. I would. I mean, look, I'm not a legal expert, but I, I, from my understanding, that could be if you did it. Like, let's say you just choked him right then and there, right? Right. But if you leave the room and get a gun and then come back and shoot him, right? Then, no, then no, that's premeditated then that's at that premeditated point, murder, right? Yeah. So I think there was some mm. debate about that that had gone on about that definition. So we go into the back room, and that's where they sent the two alternates off, right? So the twelve of us go back in. And the first thing you do is you pick a foreman for the jury. Um, and that's like, who's going to sort of run the room while you're there? So we just went around. We said, hey, who's been on a trial before? There was only one guy, I think, that had been on a trial before. We're like, well, you're the foreman because you've done this. You've been in a deliberation before. None of us have. You have. So you're now in charge. Right. Oh, wow. Did he was he OK with that? Yeah, he was. He was fine. He was a, a man probably in his 50s or 60s. Very nice man. As far as I could tell, just normal. Normal guy. So the first thing we did was he said, okay, by show of hands, how many people think that he killed his mother? All 12 of us shot our hand up. Okay. There was no doubt with any of us that he had committed the act of killing his mother. Right. So he said, okay, let's go through the evidence real quick. Let's do a little recap of everything. And like, so he, we all had our notes and stuff. And he sort of led us through a discussion, spent about an hour going through the whole trial, discussing the things that we've been told, went through every step of the process. Then he said, okay, let's vote. How many people for murder in the first degree? Ten hands shot up. How many people for murder in the second degree? Two hands shot up. It was myself and one other were for murder two. And all ten others were for murder for you murder one. You were for murder two? Initially, yeah. So let's talk about it. So part of it was that the definition of premeditation to me still at that point, I was thinking like, well, you have to really have put some thought into wanting to do this. And it had always seemed to me like they got into a fight he snapped, he grabbed the first thing he saw and choked her, and then she died. So we had this whole thing, we went through, and we were all very civil. It wasn't like 12 angry men where we're yelling at each other and doing stuff, you know, nobody's, sure. you know, Jack Klugman running around and getting people to agree, and George C. Scott there yelling at people, whatever, like none of that's going on, right? Right, 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 right. Uh, it was Jack Klugman, right? I, I'm pretty sure. So we we go around, and everybody gets a chance to speak. At this point, I remember there was one woman out of the 12 who I would not want a jury for anything. Cause like we walked in and she was just like, he's guilty. Murder one. I knew from the, from the moment I saw him that he was guilty. Let's just go. 
Like she was one of those types where oh, I don't think she put in the thought to like, hey, let's really consider this. But the rest of us all did. And here's the thing. It didn't matter. It, it made no difference whether she was a little wacky on that end or not. The end result was going to be the same ultimately when this all said and done. But to me, there was one thing that came up in the trial that made me switch from murder two to murder one. And actually, it has to do with premeditation and what that means and how that goes. Because we talked a little bit about how the medical examiner come in and they talked to us. And they talked about when you strangle somebody and how the first they pass out and then they die and like how long you have to go. And I still felt that it could have been him snapping because they they did say that the very act of strangulation in its in of itself is not some is not enough to cause a pre- premeditated murder. The fact that you continued on is not enough. Right. You have to think about doing it and do it. So I was looking through my notes and I was reading through some things and and glancing at things and I actually got them to call the court reporter into the room and read back some testimony to us because there was a part Ooh, Matt that Walker. Well, there was a part that I was unclear on and and i'm glad i did this and this is what made me make the switch from murder two to murder one in his cousin's testimony when he told her what he had done his mom got in the shower he turned on the radio to king diamond like turned on his stereo and then he grabbed the cord and killed her and to me i was like oh the act of turning on the stereo to me at that point then stood out as something where he's doing this to cover right. up the sounds of the crime sure. and that shows that it was premeditated and at that point I switched to murder one and there was one holdout still in murder two and it was nearing the end of the day uh, it was about three or four in the afternoon so like we'd been in there for you know four or five hours debating this stuff like going over every aspect of it everybody taking people through their impressions of everything like it was i think it was done very well in terms of everybody having a good say and giving their impressions on it some people really bought into the satanic angle i never did but some people did in my opinion he's a satanist that committed a murder not a person who committed a satanic murder right if that makes sense right mm-hmm. and then so it's the end of the day and they're like well we still don't have a verdict so we go out we tell the judge hey there's no verdict today and I think the prosecution found that surprising, is my guess. I think they expected it to be like slam done, dunk, done. like you're yeah. in, you're out in a half hour, and then they're done. But So we go home, we come back the next day, and it's still 11 to 1 when we first walk into the jury room. And the one guy said, I thought about it overnight, and I think you're right. Yeah, it's murder one. Right? Wow. So we're in there for, you know, we're just... Hey, let's make sure, let's go through everything one last time, go through everything, make sure everybody's completely satisfied with this as a a decision. We go back out into the courtroom. Uh, At this point, uh, we say, okay, you know, there's a verdict. The judge asks who the foreman is, the foreman's there, and the judge tells us, okay, we have an escort to take you to your cars, so you're not worried about anything. Because, like, he he had family members and stuff there on his side of the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you know, just to make sure everybody's fine, we're going to walk you to your cars and escort you and whatever. He said, you know, sometimes the prosecution or defense attorneys might want to talk to you afterwards. They can do that. They'll be allowed to contact you. But, you know, you don't have to talk to them if you don't want to, anything like that. I was never contacted by anybody afterwards. Right. We go in there. Always the, the bridesmaid. <laughs> <laughs> So the judge, uh, that's when he told us uh, that as soon as trial's over, we could talk about it. We could not be financially compensated for talking about it for six months. And after that, it's fair game. But I've still never been financially compensated for talking about it. We're not making any money from this thing. So um, this is just tell the story. (laughs) They do the whole thing where they're like, you know, defendant, please rise. Members of the jury, please rise, whatever. Is there a verdict? Foreman says yes. Just says, what was that verdict? And like he hands him like a slip of paper. 
And then the judge is like, all right, on the in the case of the murder of Amelia Spinoza, you've been found guilty. And then he goes, juror number one, did you agree guilty? Yes. Two, guilty. Yes, guilty. So they go all the way down the line. You have to say out loud that you found them guilty just to make sure that there's no mistakes and everybody's completely in agreement. And that's wow. how they, they do the process. So he was found guilty. At that point, I think he teared up. He'd, he'd gotten a little emotional at times, like when they talk about his mother during the trial. But I believe he started crying at that point. And then that's sort of it. I went home. They and, didn't say what that what it means like what what he'll no so sentencing Sentencing was going to happen later on that was going to happen about a month later did you Um, go to the sentencing no i did not i I thought about it but then i was like you know i don't want to go in and and cause any weird issues right so but i do remember i read the press coverage when the sentencing happened and when he was sentenced and he got sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 25 years but he's never going to get out you know when when somebody gets that kind of sentence for that kind of crime he's never going to get paroled yeah. You know, so he's going to be in 25 prison. 25 years, that's it. That's weird. Well, you know, in, in other countries, like in Scandinavia, like you just get like 20 years for a brutal murder and that's it. And then you're out. Oh my God. They don't even have like a, a life sentence over there. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, now, so uh, there were there were some things that I think might have come up and this might be where you're at, where you're going is like mm-hmm. there was, I, I've had people ask me, was there ever anybody talking about was he crazy or not? Mm. Right? Because this is not something a normal person does. Right? Sure. We were never presented any sort of defense of insanity. I suspect that that was not allowed by the court because a part of this process is before the trial begins, the defense and prosecution sort of tell the judge and each other a little bit about their case. Right. And they have to give them an overall view of what it is that they're going to say happened. Um, yeah. and I think in a lot of cases, like judges don't allow you to just say, oh, well, I'm pleading guilt, not guilty by reason of insanity. Like you can't just say that you have to get that approved by the court. So yeah. I don't know if there was ever an argument made and they were denied. Maybe it was never an argument that was made. I don't know anything about that, but that is one big question I get asked every time I tell somebody about it. They say, well, was he crazy? And did, was that an argument? That's not what I was going to ask. Okay. You. What I was going to ask you was, see, you leave the courtroom that day mm-hmm. at the end. Yes. He's, been, he's been charged. He's been uh, proven guilty. Yeah, like you have to go upstairs and sign a form, and then you take off. They walk you to your car. I think they offered, and I just said, "No, I don't care," and I just walked myself because well, <laughs> right. I'm not worried. Because yeah. that, that was the thing. Like people have tough. asked me. Well, no, people have asked me. They're like, "Oh, do you feel like the world's safer?" And I'm like, "No, I don't think it's any different." Like he was never a danger to me in any way or you in any way. This is a case where he killed his mother, somebody who he knew very well in a particular instance. This was not somebody just going around killing a random person. So it's not like it makes any, the world a safer place. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So then you, you go straight home after this? Yeah. I think I went home and ate lunch. (laughs) Was the, when was the first time you had talked to any friends about what, what you were dealing with? Like being on this? Uh, So, after this happened, I think during the course of the trial, I went to dinner with my parents, but I couldn't talk about the trial or what it was. They know I had a jury duty, but I was like, when this is all over, I'm going to tell you about it. And it's a crazy story. So did then I tell, think that afternoon, I went over to my parents' house and I told them about it. Whoa. Probably not in the graphic detail that I've done here on the podcast. Right. Like, you know, I didn't talk about, you know, him carving out his mother's genitalia, but I did Jesus. tell him about chopping her head off. Whoa. And carving things into her skull. And, were uh, they concerned and worried about you? No. They, yeah. they, they must have been a little concerned. No. Well, they, well there's no concern. 
I'm concerned for you. <laughs> I was on a jury. Like I said, it's not like I was involved in any way. Yeah, I mean, but it it's, just it's still, you know, to be that close to it is mm-hmm. uh, not something that everybody gets to deal with, you know? Yeah, I guess, look, I'm, I'm emotionally tough, right? I'm not going to get... I'm not kind of problems about this. Physically you know, weak. Like I didn't have, here's the thing. I never had any problems sleeping the entire time. Like nothing ever kept me up late. Oh I was never God, any issues with Netflix that. Netflix documentaries <laughs> make me have heart palpitations. Like I, 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 I could not have handled it. Yeah. You're not cut out for that kind of jury. I guess no, I Canadians, am, Canadians. We can't handle that kind of shit. You can only handle when a guy in a powdered wig is the one making the arguments. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a um, man. What an amazing uh, journey to go through, dude. It's an unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So we went through that whole process and then that's sort of it. And I, I did a bit about it on stage for a little while and that was, you know, very superficial about what it was. And I sort of joked around a little bit about me liking heavy metal and this guy liking heavy metal. I think that right. was the bit that I did. Yeah. And then when she finally playing King Diamond in the courtroom and thinking it was rocking and I wanted to make the, the metal hand sign, but I was like, nope, can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I don't, no, I, I don't want contempt to court. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, I haven't really talked in detail until this podcast. Wow. Like I've told a little bit to you and a little bit to Mike, our friend Mike Martori, a great comic who's into creepy stuff, and a little to my roommate Gabe. Yeah. Um, I think I probably told him more than anyone just because he was around. Yeah. You know, that that was just sort of like it. What it did ended you do? I, what, what was the, the first day that you did not have to be involved in the trial? What did you do on that day? Any, any uh, worked on some projects. Yeah. I mean, I, I was. Do you feel relieved in some way that it's that I was done? I was happy I wouldn't have to get up and drive to Norwalk early in the morning. Oh my god! But I, it, it I would just say no because it's Norwalk. <laughs> and I know you can't say no to jury yeah, duty. It wasn't. It, it's your. That's just something that you and I have spoken about at, at great length. Is uh, is is the how you feel about jury duty yes. because uh, like my my view of jury I, I have very little knowledge about yeah because i've never done jury duty because i'm a canadian so i i've never done jury duty but i know that you've done mm-hmm. jury duty this is you know i know you've done it i know other people who have done it this was my second time getting called to actually go in yeah and so sit in the courtroom yeah how, when you explain again why you think it like how it made you feel well, to do jury duty, I guess. I think it's an important process that we have. And as Americans, we constantly like to bitch about trials that happen. And we're like, well, how could these idiots have decided that? Uh, we all know that Casey Anthony's guilty or whatever, right? Right. A couple things about she that. totally is. We were not in the courtroom, so we don't know what she was shown and what the jury was allowed to see outside of media coverage so like we got to see that trial on tv but we also got to see a whole bunch of other stuff in the media that the jurors did not get to see so as a juror you get a very limited set of information that you have to use to make your decision so that's an important part of it and also a lot of people who are very intelligent and upstanding members of society in a lot of ways do whatever they can to get out of serving on a jury sure so then what you wind up with on the jury are people who either don't mind or don't work or don't have other things that would keep them from, that would prevent them from being on the jury. Sure. So the pool of jurors that you're ending up with there is a different set of people than an actual cross-section of Americans. Wow. So I think that as Americans, we should take part in jury duty, not try to get out of it just to get out of it. I think go in, take it seriously. Almost always, 
you're going to just get dismissed and not have to do anything. You spend one day there. Right. They probably have free Wi-Fi at this point anyways. Sit around. Don't worry about it. Take your day. Even if there is a trial you get put on, almost always your trial is going to be like a day or two. This is an extremely rare thing to be on a trial like this, right? Yeah, totally. This kind of case happens very rarely. So that's why, you know, there are people from the DA's office coming in to watch the trial at times because they never get to see this stuff. Right, yeah. You know, the, how often does this come across your desk if you're in that business? Yeah, no. Um, this is so a big deal. go take it seriously. Give people a fair trial. Weigh the evidence for and against. And if you have a reasonable doubt, say there's a reasonable doubt. And if you think that they're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, say you think they're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And just give your decision. Yeah, that's really cool, man. So I think it's an important thing that we do. Look, if you were, if I was born in like Switzerland, then I'd be asked to serve in the military for two years when I turned eighteen, right? That's very they true. don't make us do any of that crap here. Like, yeah, you know, serve on a jury once in a while, fine. I'll take that over having to go join the military for a couple of years, which almost every other country does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in Canada, we have to go um, to the Northern Territories to help fight off the snow monsters. Oh yeah, because they'll come down and they'll just mm-hmm. destroy Quebec. So totally, yeah. They they don't like French. Viva do they? la snow monsters. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I'm going to go ahead and finish up this episode. We'll do one more after this. I've got some questions that people have sent in, so I'm going to do one oh, more. Sure. We answer those questions. And that'll be it. But thank you for listening to the Jura Number 8 podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And by all means, go to juranumber8.com. Send us your questions, comments, and maybe we'll do some more recording down the road if we get a lot more questions coming in. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>